Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Would you like to access bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash Bones and Bobbins. Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group. Where all the fun happens. It's true. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbin, Season 1, Episode 4. 14? Yes. And I'm on the wrong part. I'm way down on 14.5. Hey, it's not me this time. (laughs) No, this time it is fully me because we are taking on such a huge thing. So I'm scrolling back up and welcome to season one, episode 14. (laughs) H.H. Holmes making a moida castle. Oh boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, so um, this is a big one. (laughs) And uh, probably at this point you already know that I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. And I'm Natalie from Uber Dark Designs, an official murderino maker. Yes, we are are very fancy. Yes, we are. Um, So, (laughs) do you know what happened? Hmm? What happened? This week, I got a fully articulated, life-size teaching skeleton. Yeah, you did. I know. I'm really excited about it. I'm excited by proxy. (laughs) Yeah. I can't figure out what to name it, though. Um, It's just... It's probably going to be Francis Glessner Lee. But... It, it yeah I got you gotta think about it some more it's one does it, not rush into these things no no we don't need to rush in it's true it's not um, like it's going anywhere <laughs> I hope not <laughs> well actually our floors aren't even so oh, no. I was super super relieved <laughs> to find that the casters on its stand have locks That's so we thing. didn't have a skeleton. <laughs> lightly floating through the apartment horizontally nice at will Uh, that used to happen to my desk chair a lot and i had to tie it to my desk (laughs) um i have since purchased uh caster wheels with locks which would have been the thing i should have done 
at the beginning of all this, but hey, you know. I decided light bondage yeah. instead. <laughs> you can never go wrong with a little light office bondage. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, and also related to our topic. Yes. This weekend, I got an email from my dad with a bunch of genealogy information just sort of out of nowhere. And guess what? name happened to feature on that list hmm i don't know could it be mudget <gasps> <Mudget. Yes. laughs> that and uh if you don't know that is the actual last name of h.h H. holmes um i'm probably not related to him spoiler alert uh but he probably is on my family tree by marriage. So there's that. That's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was not what I was expecting for my Saturday morning. Right? That yeah, so how are out. you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. Uh, there's. Uh, it's getting cold here. We had a little tiny bit of snow today. Uh, Ooh. Festive. Which kind of makes me excited. I go on this, and I'm sure you can understand as maker. Like, I go on this, I'm trying to fully embrace all of my spoopy wonder and be like, yay, Halloween. And then I see all this Christmas stuff start popping up, and I'm like, you should have your Christmas line out. You're behind. Everybody's selling all the things, and you're going to fail. Um, so you that's... aren't going to fail. It's fine. <laughs> Although I haven't put my decorations up for Halloween yet, so <laughs> I am currently failing. We, uh, yeah, we don't have a whole lot up, but we, I mean, but we do, we do have some stuff up. Uh, I, and then I, like, purchased some specifically and still. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway. Um, and then my friend started one of the most delightful groups on Facebook. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's in the manner of, like, you know, the Great British Bake Off. But it's the Love great bake off. Right? But it's the great Midwest casserole bake off. Wow. Was there a big fight about whether or not you were going to call it casserole or hot dish? No, don't you know. So <laughs> So we I did. come from casserole land, but aren't right. you firmly nope. in hot dish world? I'm I'm casserole borderline hot dish now. Now, hot dish as you know is usually from Minnesota. Um, (laughs) but within Wisconsin, we usually have the casserole. Sometimes it's a hot dish, but usually a casserole. And, uh, I think hot dish has been determined to be like anything that's topped with potatoes. So I'm guessing like shepherd's pie would be a hot dish, but like also we had, we called it it specifically tater tots generally speaking. But see, we called it tater tots. But yeah, so but we called it tuna casserole was topped with potato chips and tater tot casserole was topped with tater tots. But so they True. throw out they throw out a, a a list of ingredients and then you submit your casserole. And oh my, my friend my friend Allie literally lattice braided hot dog strips on the top of her casserole and totally took the win the first week. And wow, my friend Monica <laughs> had like vegetables cut like flowers. It is the most delightful fucking group. That and is it, so wholesome. It is. It's perfect for for like a palate cleanser to all the fuckery that is like burning down around us right now. Also, we went and got our flu shots. 
Ooh, so, I got mine too. Mm-hmm. I was pretty proud of that. So flu shots are down, and I now have uh, I now have a little palate cleanser of the great Midwestern casserole bake off. So I yeah. am so excited about that. <laughs> I could never participate because I eat exactly zero things that would ever be involved in a Midwestern casserole. I have yet to actually um, participate because in it. I have massive food allergies. But, just watching yeah. it. Just watching it is so much fun. And uh, oh, the, that's lovely. Right? Uh, so, I, so, so I'm like, <laughs> it snowed out. I belong to a casserole bake-off group. Let's talk mortar. I mean, you know. I feel like that is really normal for us. It, it is. So if you want an in on the bake-off to watch, just watch what come, they come up with. I'll I'll scoot you on in because it's pretty Ooh. fun. I'll uh, just sneak on by you here. <laughs> oh boy! And you can see all the casseroles. It's uh, lovely. Yeah, I I haven't <laughs> seen my mom in so long that my accent it does not flow in the way that it does when I have seen her. It's oh. been so long. It's it it's funny because mine doesn't slip out a whole lot, but. I love to I love to go there with it because it is it's heartwarming. And yeah, and I mean you can. The mm-hmm. the thing about it is when you have a strong Midwestern accent and like I'm from Southwest Michigan, so mm-hmm. we're solidly in the strong accent area. Um it's like it ebbs and flows depending on what group of people you are with. Right. And my husband is always making fun of me when my mom's around because <laughs> all of a sudden I get extremely Midwestern. <laughs> it's funny because people don't quite understand the differences between like, like I grew up in the suburbs of Milwaukee. Yeah. So I never understood why people picked on Wisconsin for, <laughs> until we like went and visited our cousins up north. And I was like, okay. And I mean up north, not up north, which is WP, which is and Michigan. I should say that that's that's my area, uh-huh. right? And I'm like, there's so there's the slight differences, but then we had cousins in Minneapolis, so just the differences and the and and there's like this slight vernacular differences as well, like the Hotchish versus Cashel, and then there's Dayup and uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. You know, I was out on the trail the other day. <laughs> Christ on a cracker, I think, is what often happens in my area, although we weren't allowed because I grew up in a very religious household. Yeah, yeah. So it it makes me happy. And I think that I think people need to give the Midwestern accent as much love as they give the the Southern bless your heart accent. Well, my dad is a very, uh, very folksy Midwestern dad. And so, like, he will say things like, good Lord willing and the creek don't rise, um, (laughs) when he hopes that something will happen, or dog crap instead of shit. Uh, Like, there, there is, apparently he did this so much that when he was retiring from the crime lab, they did this golf outing where every hole had a um my dad's name is 
wait, I'm not going to use my dad's first name, I guess, um, <laughs> for his privacy. Right. Um, but uh, they had an ism of his at every single, um, every hole. single hole at the golf course. That's so amazing. there are at least 18 of them. <laughs> nice. Um uh, yeah, I never. It, it, what was the one that always confused me as a kid? Was are you shitting me? <laughs> I didn't like as soon as I found out what shit actually meant. I'm like, I don't understand that one. But like, yeah, yeah. I never encountered that until I was older because I mean, because cussing, <laughs> because yeah. Like, I don't think. I think I've heard my dad swear. Like twice, we were going to get into a head-on collision that we both saw coming, and my dad said, "Oh, dog crap." Oh, <laughs> my! See now, my dad, my parents. Okay, my mom doesn't cuss a whole lot. She cusses more now than she ever did before. Yeah, and it's thanks to me. And then she'll giggle when she does it. So it, it's just really funny. She'll like whisper "bitch" and then giggle for like five minutes. My dad. Yeah, my mom does that. <laughs> My dad has this thing where he cannot stand the F word and I drop it all over the place thanks to my grandma. Uh, but I don't ever say it in front of him. Like, I, I'm reserved enough to not, you know, have that respect thing in there. Oh, yeah, I would it. never. But I heard, I heard, I've heard my dad say it once when I was a kid and he was passing a kidney stone. So my kid just, oh, dear. it was like, yeah, I'm like, that's like giving birth. Like, that's the only time I've ever heard him drop it. But, uh. But yeah, one time I was on the phone with him when I was in California and there was like a little mini earthquake and something mm -hmm. from upstairs fell. And I was like, what the fuck was that? Because it scared me. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say it. Like, I was terrified that I had said, you know, the, said oh, the, yes. the bad word. I understand. You never grow out of that. No, it was like straight no. out of the Christmas story. Like, like with just... my mom, I... We'll say whatever I want and then just look at her and dare her to call me by my first, middle, and last name. Yes! Which she does every single time. She probably also has done this in our or on our Facebook page for this podcast. And if she hasn't, well, if some woman named Patty with an I shows up and calls me by my full name, well, that's my mom. And she's great, so. Mm. Wow. We should probably actually yeah. talk about the thing we're supposed to be talking about, because we should, we've been cause... talking for 15 minutes. Oh, <laughs> before we do, we should, ta to <laughs> we should totally take a quick break. Yep. And thank all of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on Patreon, and give a totally normal and not at all creepy welcome to our newest members, Amanda Windsor and Ashley Sean. Welcome, Ooh. ladies. Also, a special thank you to Laura for increasing her support. Ooh, thanks, Laura. And yeah. Amanda and Ashley. I hope you're already in the uh, Facebook group because... Oh, you know it. We're fun. Well, I mean, I know you're <laughs> on top of adding people. It's just that not everybody is on the Facebooks. That's true. That is true. Although, didn't you actually make someone join Facebook? <laughs> I didn't make them. I did not have gun to head. They were just like, um, so I created this secondary Facebook account just to be in the group. Uh, I so. love that. Thank you. Right. So heartwarming. We have yes. the very best 
very best patrons ever. It is true. And like we always say, we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. Which actually reminds me that I learned that I that there is a family graveyard. Like a a Pearson graveyard. Ooh. um, In that genealogy stuff. Um, A lot of people uh, that I'm apparently related to are buried there. (laughs) Nice. So we could totally have a little tea party there and be like, hi. Can you imagine, like, just me sitting in the middle of a graveyard filled with Pearsons? (laughs) Yes, I can. Yeah, me too. That, that's fair. That is completely fair. That would be a photo shoot. <laughs> All right. Put it on the list. On the list. <laughs> For our field trips. For our field trips. We cannot visit. Uh, we, we have to visit Chicago at some point. Uh, it's true. It's, even though it's an, uh, yeah. the even building though it's not isn't there. Anymore. there. But uh, so uh, Herman Webster Mudgett. Yes. It just does not sound like someone that would be referred to as the devil of Chicago. No. He did go to my alma mater, though. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's right. Uh, Uh Yet, that's the name that H.H. Holmes came into this friggin' world with. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, so much of the actual truth behind this guy is fuzzy at best, including... His actual birthday. It is listed <laughs> it is listed everywhere as circa May 16th, 1861. Yes. His very own autobiography, which is linked in our show notes, like an actual scanned of the original. Yeah, uh, I've got two of them. One's annotated also. Yeah, it's it's riddled with lies and craziness, and it's only yeah. through historical research, like the true history of the White City Devil by Adam Selzer. Yeah. Also, that we can get a more accurate look at who Herman and H.H. H. Holmes was. Yes, we love Adam Selzer because Absolutely. most of the actual real facts came from his book. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Which is called H.H. H. Holmes, The True History of the White City Devil. Yes. And there's but. a link in show notes to purchase. Mm-hmm. Ah. Because he- Thanks, Adam. Can we call you Adam? Probably can't because he probably won't listen. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, So uh, our buddy Herman was born in Gilmington, New Hampshire to Levi Horton Mudgett and Theodate Page Price. Those are some names. Uh, Both of uh, Price is the other side of my family. (laughs) Get out now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, oh my goodness! Well, no, both that's of, that's through marriage, though. So that's fine. okay. Whew. Well, both <laughs> of these were descended from first English immigrants in the area. Okay. So Mudgett was his parents' third-born child. He had an older sister Ellen, older brother Arthur, younger brother Henry, and a younger sister Mary. So middle child. Uh, what happened to those kids? Right. That's a good question. I don't. I don't. I didn't even go to that. Um, I don't think we should find out. Nope. <laughs> so it's said that his family was affluent, but totally not without problems. So some historians state that there was like no precursors to predict that Herman would grow up to commit the crimes that he did. 
But my psych background sees kind of a few red flags, to say the least. Uh Um, Now, there are accounts of, you know, everything from, like, his dad quieted the kids with uh, kerosene rags and physical... (laughs) There is some craziness, some craziness, but... I mean, who among us hasn't had a grandparent threaten to (laughs) dip a washcloth in brandy and stick it in a baby's mouth who was fussing? Right. I'm Uh, just saying, maybe that's a Midwest thing. It could be. Nobody lets it happen anymore, but grandparents strongly suggest it pretty often. My grandma was all about that brandy. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think Wisconsin is like single-handedly keeping the brandy industry alive um (laughs) so now it's written speaking of brandy that holmes father was an alcoholic like that is confirmed his mother was a devout methodist who preached bible scripture to him a lot uh so you add that to a history of bullying and there's kind of a foundation there so on his way to school he had to pass the office of a village doctor who left his door unlocked and Mudgett's schoolmates found that he was afraid of the doctor's office and dragged him into it. Um, Uh-oh. He later, he later claimed struggling and shrieking, and they brought him face to face with a grim, like a grinning skeleton. <clears throat> it was, it was a wicked and dangerous thing to do to a child of tender years and health, but it proved a an heroic method of treatment destined ultimately to cure me of my fears and to. Uh, inculcate me into first a strong feeling of curiosity and later a desire to learn, which resulted years afterward in my adopting medicine as a profession, mudgeon claim from his prison cell. Skeletons <laughs> aren't scary. They're not. Um, no. So uh, I just think it's funny that he's like recounting this from his prison cell. Oh, I was going to wheel the skeleton into the <laughs> podcast. I forgot to. So another challenge that Holmes faced in early life was a strabismic left eye. Strabismic? Yeah. So it's a medical condition that involves poor control of the eye muscles. So kind of a lazy eye. Okay. um, But not fully lazy. Like he could tell when he, like he can look straight on just fine. There's like a million pictures of him. But many people would comment that he had like an inability to look them in the eye. But there was actually a physical deficiency and not a personality trait. So that could also have been a factor that led to the bullying. Like, it's not really clear. But another factor um, could be that he appeared to be, like, highly intelligent at an early age. So whatever the reason. I wondered if he was Aspie. He kicked, it's possible. And I say uh, that as someone with autism. Like, this is not a, uh, a slight. Right. So whatever the reasons, we're talking bullying plus middle child syndrome plus highly religious mom plus alcoholic dad. And that's a recipe that, yeah, could go terribly wrong. Another potential red flag is that young Holmes expressed a very strong interest in pharmaceuticals and medicine, sometimes dissecting and surgery on both live and dead animals. Or did he? Contrary to imaginative tales of animal torture, his mother later told reporters that her son had been kind to all creatures, and he especially liked dogs. So, while, again, huge red I flag. I don't I don't... I, again, yeah, that's like a hard, it's a hard to know, I think, somewhere in the middle of that, the truth may yeah. lie. I don't think he ever tortured or killed a, a, an animal, but I'm willing to bet if he came across a carcass, he brought it home and checked it out. That's oh, where I would guess. I also would have... So, 
It's yeah, it's a curiosity I mean, versus because that's fascinating. Malice. Coming face right. to face with mortality is a scary and interesting thing for a child. It, it, well, it is, and you know, as kids, how many times did you pull something apart just to see how it was put together? Oh, it's the time. So, I mean, it's no different on, you know, a, a no longer alive animal than it would be on like a toaster. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same theory. By all accounts, though, despite all these factors against him, he was undeniably a charming conversationalist and incredibly bright. So at the age of 16, he graduated from Phillips Exeter Academy and took teaching jobs wow. in Gilmanton and then later in nearby Alton. I didn't realize he went to Exeter. Yep. My uh, uh, husband's and- family all went there. Oh, wow. <laughs> all these details are just coming together. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I'm spilling was- <laughs> way too many personal details. Sorry. <laughs> so it was while teaching in Elton that he met Clara Lovering, uh, whose father represented the district and New Hampshire state legislator. They courted for more than a year before, uh, at 17, he eloped with her before Justice of the Peace on the 4th of July, 1878. How? She gave... Uh, why? Right? Who I, let that... Were they well, allowed uh, to? The, so the why in that is that Clara got was getting more and more pissed off because he was trying to get a piece. And she is like, we are not married, sir. And he was like, but I want that. And she was like, put a ring on it. So I mean, fair enough, Clara. <laughs> so, uh, but and then the interesting part of this is that uh, so she gave birth to their son Robert Lovering Mudgett in 1880. So it took at least a year to two for them to, you know, to have a kid. Uh, so and that was in Loudoun, New Hampshire. But by then, Herman had tired of teaching, and he went to work as a clerk in a Concord, New Hampshire grocery store because <laughs> I. Seriously, like this, <laughs> I, I understood why this guy did half the shit he does. So for a year, he lived in Concord while his life, wife lived at his parents in Gilmington. And then he decided that he wanted to be a doctor. And Clara agreed to support Herman through medical school. So he enrolled in the University of Vermont's medicine program in Burlington uh, while frequently visiting his young family. And Clara supported him doing services to various people which is probably like sewing uh, according yeah. to the newspapers after a year though he decided like vermont sucked and he was like i don't yeah. like oh this she school. was a dressmaker yes clara was and uh he transferred to the university of michigan's department of medicine and surgery which was a medical school that specifically emphasized dissection uh Still so well enrolled right While enrolled, he worked in the anatomy lab under Professor Herdman, the chief anatomy instructor, and he apprenticed in New Hampshire under Naum White, a noted advocate of human dissection. Mm -hmm. These things are kind uh, of important. They are. Uh, So years later, when Holmes was suspected of murder and claimed to be nothing but an insurance fraudster, he admitted to using cadavers to defraud life insurance companies several times in college like that Which was wasn't a- like unusual i don't think i don't he, he wasn't the only one running insurance frauds i mean wasn't that mostly what birking was i think yeah oh, i mean absolutely. that was obviously murdering but right but yeah oh, totally um hmm. well they were selling them to schools i thought 
It's close. Uh, so Clara actually joined yeah, him in Ann Arbor. Right. Uh, but after a year, they decided she better, she, she'd be better off in, at home in New Hampshire. Now, there are tales from their roommate at the time, allegedly. Oh, that God, he they treated, had a roommate? Yeah. That they were babies. Expensive. Plus, they were babies. I mean, even though they were in, like, medical school and had a kid, like, she was, she would have been, like, what, 19, 20 years old, maybe? Uh, but so there's tales that he treated her violently, and that may have led to her decision to move back home. His Michigan professors. Yeah, get out of there, girl. Right? Get out. So his Michigan professors recalled him as a row who breached his promise with a widow from St. Louis. And apparently if you back out of a marriage proposal to a widow at the time, that was like up there with murder in terms of like, you just don't do that. I mean, um, it's straight up illegal. Right. A breach of promise suit is a well, so, I don't know if it is, but it was a real thing. It was, yeah, it was back then. So that he, so he stole these cadavers, cadavers. He would mutilate them and then try to collect the insurance money by saying they died in an accident. Which well, is some kind, kind of, of accident. So, uh, so then during the summer of his junior year, he took a job as a traveling salesman for a book publisher in northwestern Illinois because, you know, was why it not? Edwards Brothers? Uh, I don't know. But he did keep the he did keep the proceeds and uh, fell in love with Chicago. He Herman Mudgett graduated in 1884 and set out to find a place to practice. He tried Portland, Maine, where he got another sales job. In his travels, he discovered Moore's Folks, New York, where he was hired as a grade school principal. He corresponded with Why? Clara. B- <laughs> I don't know. Like <laughs> all these fucking jobs. I'm like, what the heck? I don't I don't understand. Like. That he's got to have the weirdest goddamn resume. Uh, I don't so, think, I think he just charmed his way in. I don't think anybody ever asked for credentials. Right. So he did, he continued to correspond with Clara by mail. He visited her several times and he contributed a little bit of support for his family. Well, okay. So, so you know, at this point he was a little bit messed up, but he didn't full tilt yet. Uh, after he moved to Moore's Forks, New York, a rumor spread that Holmes had been seen with a little boy who later then disappeared. Holmes claimed that the boy went back to his home in Massachusetts, but no investigation ever took place, and he quickly scoot- scooted out of town. Uh, I thought he, that that was um, his son with Clara. I don't know. Um, that I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I may be misremembering that. And that would have been uh, Robert. Yeah. Uh, so he later traveled to Philadelphia and got a job as a keeper at North Northtown State Hospital, but quit after a couple days. What the uh, fuck is a keeper? I don't know, but at least it was a hospital. He later took a position at a drugstore in Philadelphia, but while he was working there, a boy died after taking medicine that was purchased at the store. He desired any involvement in the child's death, but immediately yeeted out the fucking city. <laughs> well, he wasn't a pharmacist. So, no. So, in October of 1888, he visited Clara and Robert at home and told them that he had business in Chicago, but he didn't want her to join him. And that may be because he already married another fucking woman. Murda Belknap in 1887. Um, I mean, honestly, better for Clara. Right. And Holmes and murder that... Murder. <laughs> murder. Murda. Murda? Murda? Chicky Poo then had a daughter named Lucy in 1889. Uh, Clara actually took him to the train station in Concord 
and then didn't see or hear from him again for six freaking years. Good. Clara decided she would support herself and her young son. She learned dressmaking in Concord and set up a successful little shop in Tilton. And this makes me just heartwarmed. There is a modest little tin sign tacked on a simple white building on Main Street opposite the hotel, right in the center of the seminary village, which reads Mrs. C.A. Mudgett Dressmaking, reported the Boston Globe. She lived in an apartment above the store with her son, and that makes me happy. I love everything about that. Right? Her little sign. Yes. Good God for you. It, it, the little sign. That's what gets right. me. Right? Just the like, little sign. Right? You're taking care of things. Yeah. Good, get her done. Good for you. Yeah. Like, you don't, you need, don't need that need a man. man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <sighs> yes. So Herman lived with Murda and Lucy in Illinois, spending most of his time in Chicago. Right before fully moving to Chicago, he had changed his name to Dr. Henry Howard Holmes. Like you do. Like you do. H.H. Holmes. Pretty much to avoid the possibility of being exposed by victims of his previous scams. Scams like, according to the Boston Globe, on one occasion, Holmes insured his own damn life for $20,000, then went to a hotel in Rhode Island wearing a beard. He got a body, took it two miles from the hotel. Why was there a body at the hotel? I don't know. He cut the head off (laughs) and buried the rest. He shaved went to the hotel, registered under a new name, and asked for Holmes. They said he had gone out but was staying at the hotel. The swindler then took the head, charred it in the hotel furnace, and tried to identify it as his own. That particular scheme fell through, and Chicago is where he got real interesting. Yeah, but uh, can we go back to sure the... The furnace? Right. Like, after that didn't work, weren't they like, so where'd you get this human skull that you've right. put in the furnace? Like, Right? Like, gosh. I would be like, um, but what about, what, huh? Victorian like, America, like, right. It, it's terrifying how much it, you could get away with. Right? I don't gosh. understand so, how anybody paid for anything ever. Right? Oh, my goodness. They didn't. It's all on credit. Yeah. <laughs> so, as I mentioned earlier, by all accounts, he was a charming dude. We're on wife number two, but he went on to marry Georgina York on January 17th in 1894 in Denver, Colorado. Well, still married three. to Clara Murda. That's wife number three. So, he was clearly kind of attractive. As a compulsive womanizer, he carried on several affairs beyond just the marriages. Oh. One theory... F- yeah, one theory for the all the free love goes back to middle, like the middle child syndrome and needed for attention. Another may include a little overcompensating. According to the record of a doctor Uh-oh. who examined him in, per- in prison, his sexual organs were on the small side, but he definitely gave off that big, big energy. I, yes. <laughs> I undeniably we cannot, so. We cannot find his, we can, we're can. we not certain of his exact birth date, but we do know that he was dealing with some small size sexual organs. Because Victorian right. times. No birthday, <laughs> little dick. Gotcha. Right? So August 1886, freshly named Holmes, arrives in Chicago. He comes across Elizabeth S. Holton's drugstore at the southwest corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street in Englewood. And she gave Holmes a job. 
After proving himself a hardworking employee, he eventually bought the store. Now, there's like a ton of tales that say Holton's husband was like some old man and he died and they bought it from him. Or Holmes bought it from him. There's tales where the two disappeared and were never seen again. The truth is, is Dr. Holton was a fellow Michigan alum, only a couple of years older than Holmes. Elizabeth and the doctor lived out long, like decades past Holmes himself and happy lives right there in Inglewood. And I think it's bullshit. And the myths that killed him, that he killed them and like all this stuff, leave out the fact that it was actually Elizabeth's store. She owned the fucking store. She was but the doctor. I, but I digress. Yeah. Uh, so fucking patriarchy. So in 1887 <sighs> then, Holmes began construction on an empty lot that he purchased across the street from the dark store. It oh, was did he? A, yes, he did. It was a two-story mixed-use building with apartments on the second floor. The first floor was retail spaces, including a new drugstore. And when Holmes declined to pay the architects and the steel company, Aetna Iron and Steel, they sued him in 1888. Holmes, Holmes had a daughter with Lucy, or with Murdo, we, we covered that. Uh, Lucy, and her middle name was Theodate after his mom, which I guess... Oh. <laughs> right? Like, I... It's a horrible middle name to get stuck with, but it's kind of, I mean, interesting that he managed to, you know, give his daughter, like, his mom's name. It's uh, weird. In 1892, he added a third floor telling investors and suppliers he intended to use it as a hotel during the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition, otherwise known as the World's Fair. Now, during the years it took him to build the structure that the neighborhood pretty much dubbed the castle because of its size... Holmes systematically hired and fired a string of different contractors, allowing each to only work on a small section of the building at a time. As a result, when the World's Fair Hotel opened its doors to the public in 1893, only H.H. Holmes himself knew the layout of the place, which would be later become known as the Murder Castle. And I will let Haley explain the architecture and go into the architecture like of the whole building and, and all of that stuff. Uh, so when his, when his new drugstore opened, Holmes, forever incapable of keeping it in his fucking pants, would begin an affair with Julia Smythe, whose oh, husband like worked. Do. Right. She worked. Uh, her husband worked the jewelry counter. Uh, Smythe's husband found out about the affair and he left, leaving Julia and, and their daughter Pearl living in the hotel. Now, when Julia became pregnant with Holmes' child, he agreed to marry her, but only if she agreed to an abortion. Now, then uh. it gets real, real murky. Julia and Pearl disappeared on Christmas Eve in 1891. It's expected that he killed both her and Pearl, but simply told everyone that they had left town. It's also said that Holmes hired a man named Myron George Chappelle to articulate Smith's skeleton Introducing himself to Chappelle as Henry Gordon, he took him to the second floor room and showed him her dead body. Apparently, this dude was unfazed by the obvious murder, agreed to the work, and afterwards articulated the bodies of two more of Holmes's victims, although the third was never handed back to the killer uh, because, you know, he because of lack of payment. So the details on this are, again, super sketchy as well. Chappelle showed up at the scene when everything went down, though, and told his story. And it's allegedly him that took the police to the room of three corpses. Well, yeah. 
working in the chemical bank building on Durborn Street, doing what? Who the fuck knows? Holmes met and became close Who's friends. Who's banger now? With Benjamin Pedizel, a carpenter who had a criminal past. Pedizel. Uh, yeah. Pitzel. Pitzel? Pet- yes, Pitzel. <laughs> Benjamin P. <laughs> uh, Benny so P. He, Yo. Was, he was exhibiting in the same building a coal bin that he had invented. Holmes used Benny P. as his right-hand man for several crimes. Uh, a district attorney later described Pitzel as Holmes's tool, his creature. <laughs> well, but he didn't the- have a very big one, so... <laughs> There you go. Uh, But Ben would ultimately be Holmes's demise. In early 1893, a one-time actress and heiress named Minnie Williams moved to Chicago. Holmes claimed to have met her in an employment office, though there were rumors he had met her in Boston years earlier. We actually go into that in one of our bonus episodes. And they had exchanged love letters until she finally moved. He offered her a job at the hotel as his personal stenographer and she accepted because again like people just get jobs at whim like oh you're an actress you're perfect stenographer come and what does he need a stenographer for like i don't to take notes on the deep thoughts in his head deep thoughts by by h.h H. holmes i mean she was clearly literate if right. she could read a script yeah she could read a script and she could sign over shit uh and mm. holmes persuaded her to transfer the deed to a property in Fort Worth, Texas, to a man named Alexander Bond, which was yet another fucking alias of this guy. Now, at this point, I can't even keep track of his names and his women. Like, how how he managed to do it, I don't freaking know. No, in, there's an actual appendix in Adam Seltzer's book that is devoted to that. It's crazy pants. Yeah. So, in April of 1893, Williams transferred the deed with Holmes serving as the notary which I'm a notary of, and it's not illegal to notarize your own documents, but it can be called into question. Holmes later signed the deed over to Pettitzel, giving him the alias Benton T. Lyman. Seriously. Like you do. (laughs) The next month, Holmes and Williams rented an apartment in Chicago's Lincoln Park. Now, it's rumored they were presented at husband and wife. So this is essentially, we're thinking that Minnie's wife number four... But technically not, because he's still married to his original wife. Minnie's sister Annie came to visit in July. She wrote to her aunt that she planned to accompany Brother Henry to Europe. Neither Minnie nor Annie were seen alive after July 5th, 1893. Holmes had an entrepreneurial spirit, and based on his former medical education and his connections, he was able to sell skeletons to medical labs and schools. The burking. He's a professional burger. Oh. <laughs> he, had, he had sometimes well. a hired assistant were accused of stripping the flesh off the bones, dissecting them, and preparing the viable skeletons. The rest of the remains would be tossed in pits of lime or acid and effectively breaking down the remaining evidence. At this point, again, I don't know how many people he's sleeping with, isn't sleeping with, married to, or somehow swindling. And then you add all this other stuff, and this asshole is a hell of a multitasker, to say the least. Like, that... Like he, there was a lot going on there. So much. So following the World's Fair, Holmes decided to like GTFO Chicago and headed to Fort Worth, where he inherited property from the Williams sisters located the intersection. Inherited. 
by force uh, at the intersection of a modern day Commerce Street and Second Street. There he sought to construct another castle along the lines of his Chicago operation, once again swindling a number of suppliers. I have also never used the term swindling so often, and it would probably make a drinking game at this point with this episode. Uh, it would never be completed, though. So, July 1894. Holmes was busted and jailed for the first time for a horse swindle that ended in St. Louis. Again, like, a swindle can be anything. It's just pretty much some tomfoolery, some shenanigans and stuff that you're not supposed to do. Right. But it but it was, it was a horse swindle. So, while locked up, Holmes met with a convicted train robber and famous Wild West outlaw, Marion Hedgepeth, a.k.a. Oh. the the debonair killer holmes had a plan to swindle an insurance company out of ten thousand dollars by taking out a policy on himself and then faking his own death he promised hedgepath a five hundred dollar commission in exchange for the name of a lawyer who could be trusted holmes was directed to an attorney named jephthah howe uh, like <laughs> okay right yeah. who found who happened to find holmes plan to be brilliant nevertheless Holmes' plan to fake his own death failed when the insurance company became a little suspicious and refused to pay. Hmm. Holmes, Holmes didn't press the claim, though. Instead, he schemed up uh, to do a similar plan with our friend Ben. Remember? Ah, uh, yes. Ben. Yes. So, Ben agreed to fake his own death. Remember right-hand man Ben? Betty P. Uh, so that his, <laughs> his wife... His, <laughs> His family's going to hunt me down and smack me, I swear. Uh, so Maybe. his wife, <laughs> he was going to fake his own death so his wife could collect on a $10,000 life insurance policy, which she would split with Holmes and Howe. The scheme was to take place in Philadelphia, and it called for Ben to set himself up as an inventor under the name B.F. Perry and then be killed. An inventor? Yes. And be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. Holmes huh. was to find an appropriate cadaver to play the role of Ben, but instead Holmes decided to just kill Ben by knocking him unconscious with chloroform and then setting his body aflame with the use of benzene. In his confession, wow. Holmes implied Ben was still alive after he used the chloroform on him, prying to be set on fire. That's super nice. However, forensic evidence presented at Holmes' later trial showed the chloroform had been administered after Pizzell's death, a fact with the insurance company was unaware of, presumably to fake suicide to exonerate Holmes should he be charged with murder. Now, Holmes collected the insurance payout on the basis of the genuine corpse, because for once, shit actually lined up, um, and uh, there was no questions. So, Holmes then went on to manipulate Ben's unsuspecting wife into allowing three of her five children, Alice, Nellie, and Howard, to be in his custody. Like, I... I don't yep. get it. Like, I... No. Like, that's not your... I don't get it. Also, so Holmes, the forensics on that don't make sense. Right. Okay. The chloroform yeah. administration and where it was found. And it does not actually make I, any sense at all. <laughs> and in case you can't see, this is my super surprise look. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's shocking, isn't it? So Holmes but they didn't and, know that at that point, I don't think. Right, probably not. No. So Holmes and three of Benny P's kids traveled through, like, northern United States and into Canada? Why? 
I don't know, but Why simultaneously. Why do you want to take three children? So at the same time, trip? he had Mrs. Pitzel going along a parallel route, all the while using various aliases and lying to Mrs. Pitzel concerning her husband's death, claiming Benny P was hiding in London, like you do. So at what? one, oh. he was also lying to her about the true whereabouts of her three missing children, and at one point in Detroit just prior to entering Canada they were all only separated by a flute like a few blocks like some <gasps> fucked up Scooby-Doo movie <laughs> they were like blocks apart from each other that's and an even ballsier move Holmes was staying at another location with his wife who was unaware of the whole affair Holmes had later confessed to murdering Alice and Nellie by forcing them into a large trunk and locking them inside. He drilled a hole in the lid of the trunk and put one end of a hose through the hole, attaching the other end to a gas line to asphyxiate the girls. Holmes buried their new bodies in the cellar of his rental house at 16th Street, Vincent, wait, 16 South Vincent Street in Toronto. Dude just has houses everywhere. Frank Geyer, a Philadelphia police detective assigned to investigate Holmes and and find the three missing children, found the decomposed bodies of the two Pizzell girls in the cellar of the Toronto home. Detective Geyer wrote, the deeper we dug, the more horrible the order came. And when we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the bone of the forearm of a human being. Geyer then went to Indianapolis. And this is the point where I just fucking hate this guy. Like, it's bad enough to just to fuck around with people's emotions and shit but like when you start killing kids that's when i that's when i'm like i just want to like also you. why would you like that it doesn't like, make there any was no sense reason. to me why no. he needed to have these kids it's not like he needed leverage and why would Mrs. you pitzel or pitzel right, why and why bury them in the base like he seems smarter than that i mean so, why not just give them back to their mom Right? She doesn't know that anything has happened other than the plan. Right? I mean, and oh. what did you tell the brother? Like, so Geyer <sighs> then went to Indianapolis where Holmes had rented a cottage. Again, this fucker's all over the place. Holmes was reported to have visited a local pharmacy to purchase the drugs, which he used to kill Howard Pitazel and at a repair shop to sharpen knives. He used to chop up the body before he burned it. The boy's teeth and bits of bones were discovered in the Holmes chimney. Like, oh. I don't know how the teeth got it. I, j- there's, I have questions. I have questions. Teeth um, often survive cremation. Right, but in a chimney? Like, how did they get in the chimney? It was like, very what? creative. <laughs> it's not like they floated up. There's also... <laughs> Maybe he was standing. It, take like a, it takes a long-ass time to travel to all these places back then. Like, I don't... He was... To actually travel and then set up homes and families and God, so he his day planner must have been packed. Yeah, so and homes it's so fast, so fast and so just all over the place. Holmes' murder spree finally ended when he was arrested in Boston on November seventeenth, eighteen ninety four, after being tracked there from Philadelphia by the Pinkertons. He was uh, held the Pinkertons. Yes. He was held on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Texas. Because Texas doesn't fuck with no, horse theft. You do not fuck around with horses in Texas. That that's apparently how you is end up. also still true. Yeah, that that's is... how you end up with the fucking Pinkertons. So, yeah. there you go. And I think so, it was a capital punishment, horse theft. Probably. 
I would not. Uh, probably still is. Yeah, don't uh, fuck with horses in Texas, guys. Nope, don't do it. Uh, we need to add that to our rules. <laughs> oh my gosh. We really do need to start a list. <laughs> so as the authorities had become more suspicious at this point, and Holmes appeared poised to flee the country in the company of his unsuspecting third, fourth, maybe even fifth, I'm not even sure anymore, wife, Following the discovery, I don't of even Nelly's know which body, one this is at this point. Right? Like I don't neither. Uh, so, following the discovery of Alice and Nellie's bodies in July of 1895, Chicago police and reporters began investigating Holmes' building in Englewood, known as the Castle. Mm-hmm. So they like go marching in there and start investigating it before he when he's not even there. Yes. Uh, in October of 1895. Holmes was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Pitetzel and was found guilty and sentenced to death. By then, it was evident Holmes had already murdered the Pitetzel children. Following his conviction, Holmes confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto, though some persons that he confessed to murdering were still alive, and six attempted murders. Holmes was paid $7,500, which is like $232,069.64 today, because that's right. I looked that shit up this time. Yeah. (laughs) By the Hearst newspapers in exchange for his confession. That's a shit ton of money. That's almost a quarter of a million dollars for a confession that was quickly found to be mostly nonsense. So Holmes gave various contradictory accounts of his life's Initially claiming innocence, later than he said he was possessed by Satan, his knack for lying made it difficult for researchers to sort out the truth on the basis of his statements. Add to this the sensationalism of newspapers at the time and people wanting to be in on the story, and it's a giant fucking mess. On May 17, 1896, Holmes was hanged at the Moya Mensing Prison, also known as the Philadelphia County Prison, for the murder of Pitzel. Until the moment of his death, Holmes remained calmed and amiable, showing very few signs of fear, anxiety, or depression. Despite this, he asked for his coffin to be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep because he was concerned that grave robbers would want to steal his body and use it for dissection. That's a little fucking ironic, don't you think? (laughs) In a giant, wrapped in a bow package of karma... Uh-oh. Holmes' neck did not snap. He oh, instead no. strangled to death slowly, twitching for over 15 minutes before being pronounced dead 20 minutes after the trap had been sprung. Oh, I bet somebody mismeasured that rope on purpose. Right? And Holmes' death row confession, quote, I was born with the devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer no more than a poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me since. End of quote. That's probably true. I don't know. But that is the very abbreviated (laughs) life of Mr. H.H. Henry Mudgett Holmes. So many names. So many names and so many fucking women. So many, like, seriously, like, this guy was playa, playa, playa. I and don't... he's not bad looking. 
He's not. He's super into bowler hats, which I can dig, and he's got the hipster he's mustache well of the year. He's probably well-groomed for the time. Very much uh, the three-piece suits. Uh, he yeah, probably I mean, did like, not smell bad. No, like he, he, again, like the doctor that saw him in jail said he had tiny wee-wee, but he clearly gave off like some big dick. Like he did not act like a guy that was bullied. He didn't act like a guy that, yeah, there's some, there's a lot. There's a lot that I would like to dive even deeper into, which sounds ironic because I have read and consumed so much Oh my goodness. For this and all of our bonus episodes, which I'm excited about because I think it's perfect. Yeah. But there's so much that's, there's so many little bits and pieces in it that are so interesting. And I do focus, we do focus on like the women. We focus on some theories. We focus on some more stuff. So you guys really want to join our Patreon and stick around for our bonus episodes. And I don't normally be like, hey, join our Patreon, but it's really cool stuff and it's fun so yeah we're we're doing some extra bonus halloween we are we are so uh yeah that's homeboy holmes all right and benny p <laughs> benny p <laughs> okay um that's not funny that's a dead guy um, i know i apologize i i used his proper name when we were talking the serious stuff but benny p's just sticking it's fine he was also shady himself though too like, he, was he was a shady motherfucker too, so. So yeah. he probably didn't deserve to die. No, and have his kids killed. The kids, they the kids didn't deserve just, to die. The kids sure. confuse me. Like I could see maybe taking out the wife because you wanted that part of the inheritance and making yeah. them orphans, or but, even marrying the wife. Right? <laughs> why not? <laughs> maybe that's else. why he took the kids because she wouldn't have him. I don't know. <laughs> she didn't want that little dick. <laughs> oh boy. Probably not though. I mean. <sighs> Good times. Who wants that tiny D? Uh, no, no. I mean, if you know how to use it, I suppose. But right. I, I mean, seriously, like it Holmes is definitely not the size. But uh, no, no, I yeah. think he was so, just an odd, shady little fucker. Yeah. So uh, in, instead of uh, continuing to speculate about <laughs> big dick energy in tiny dick pants, <laughs> um. <laughs> Why don't we go to another compensation method? Yay! That was a full city block. <laughs> that's, that's some compensation right there. Yeah. All right. So I am going to talk about the murder castle, which, for the record, wasn't actually called that. Um, it was given that nickname in the 1930s at some point. Um, it was the Holmes Castle before, or the castle. Um, all right, so first off, I think we should answer a very basic question, which is, was this thing even a hotel? Did it That's ever actually operate as a hotel and the answer is no um despite all of the rumors about young women disappearing or showing up for the fair and disappearing alone into 
the castle of doom like (laughs) it wasn't even marketed as a hotel it didn't have a front desk and it definitely wasn't listed in the accommodation suggestions for fairgoers um and i think that in theory it like it was a third floor was added with this in mind but it was i don't think holmes wanted to do the work and Mm. so it was only inhabited by like the people in holmes's orbit for the most part um there the unfortunate thing about all of the records that are findable is that at the time when all of all of the sensational things about the murder castle were being discovered the press was not kept out so mm. it was the press along with the police who were digging things up and discovering different areas. And so there wasn't any secure crime scene. Mm. So it was, it would be, and I mean, there just wasn't broadly then. The press came right. in anyway um, for pretty much everything. So this wasn't unusual, but it wasn't as though it was being studied as a crime scene or with an eye to forensics. Mm. And everything that is told is told either by officers who were there, um, and Chicago police officers at that time were notoriously sketchy, um, or the press whose job it was to sell papers and who, for whom it was in their best interest to make something out of everything. Yeah. So um, I just want to, want to lay that down before we dig into it because... There are a lot of theories and very few facts. Well, if you think about it, I mean, if Hearst was willing to pay that much money for a confession for their papers, I mean, yeah, yeah, I that is that's exactly it. And I mean, he confessed multiple times. There are multiple <laughs> versions. Uh, oh there are live people. It, it's a whole thing, and we talk about it later in a bonus episode. But, all right, so it would seem that sometimes there were people there. It does not seem like it was done in an organized fashion. And the third floor, which was where the hotel was supposed to be, was even at one point straight up rented out to another company that was going to use the space as accommodations for the fair. 
Huh. Um, and I am real unclear about what happened about that. It, like with many things, it just sort of <laughs> trailed off. All right. So the facts that we know is that it featured a hundred or more rooms filled with gas chambers, staircases to nowhere, bricked up doors, trap doors, a human-sized stove, and many other presumed things. Uh, so I will get to some of the... You may be going, wait, wait, but there was all of these... All of the stuff in the basement. All of that there. shit shady to begin with, though. Like... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, and it is, it is true. Um, so let's start with the layout. The Holmes Castle was an entire city block in the Englewood neighborhood of Chicago. And the front of the building was at 701 and 703 63rd Street, and the length of the building stretched along 6306 to 6312 Wallace Street. So it, yeah, it was like a short block and a long block, um, which I'm not sure if that's a thing outside of big cities but new york listeners will will know (laughs) avenue versus street blocks that's what we're talking about the first floor was dedicated to an entire block of storefronts the third floor was apartments and yeah hotel rooms uh (laughs) And the second floor was a maze of lethal chambers where you went if you were especially unlucky. Oh, no. And the basement probably was devoted to body disposal in multiple methods. It was definitely devoted to body disposal in a couple of methods. All right. So, while I'm being real clear... Um, if you're wondering how nobody noticed that Holmes was building a murder castle, Natalie touched on it earlier, and it is that Holmes was spectacular at hiring, firing, and failing to pay workers and architects and suppliers. And so he had such a rotating staff that there wasn't one person besides him who actually knew the full layout of the building, even structurally. And so, because architects were changed, the building was sound, but it wasn't consistent. Mm. That, I don't know, it was just, it seems very weird to me that you could be definitely findable in a concrete address in a building the size of a city block, and still be able to pull this shit. Right. But, and he was also constantly changing his name and adding other people's names to properties and titles and different businesses. And so I see how it would have been kind of hard to come after him because it would yeah. have been kind of hard to know what was him. Um, I mean, that's a 
financially that had to have been a giant endeavor. Yeah, and it seems that no liens were actually ever taken out. Which you would think the construction companies would have. But that does not seem to have happened. In 1892, rumors of the building being filled with secret rooms began to swirl in the newspaper. But these secret rooms weren't actually the ones we would later think of as um, being filled with bodies. This time, the secret rooms were actually where furniture and other goods were being hidden from creditors that were trying to repossess <laughs> these things because of lack <laughs> you of fight payment. Right. And oh, so at some point, someone actually offered to take some creditors in and show them these hidden rooms. Someone who worked on the premises. Hmm. That was in, in March of that year. And um, I guess he was, oh, the, uh, the person who was showing them around was bribed. So, yeah, of course. well, like you do. The person showing these companies around went on a hunt through the building for more hidden rooms, like you do. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure where Holmes was at this point, but I don't think he was there. Um, and they searched between the first and second floors and found more hidden rooms and compartments and hidden areas between the second floor and the back of the drugstore and found the vast majority of the things that they were trying to repossess. And so other creditors descended upon the building in the same fashion. So there were people going through this building already and looking in all of these secret rooms. Hmm. And so there's an argument to be made that much of the weirdness is actually just straight up vehicles for fraud. So just smoke and mirrors. Maybe. Um, but also definitely not completely. Right. What about these gas chambers and a body size? stove <laughs> in fairness the stove couldn't actually burn bodies but not enough. the second floor that's where we're headed because that's where we need to go huh. um the second floor made very little sense to everyone except Holmes because most people don't purposefully build an entire floor either dedicated to fraud or dedicated to deadly nightmares. <laughs> I mean, it's just not generally the case. And so to give you an idea of what the schematic for that second floor looked like, the and this is from a newspaper 
at the time period. So it would have been in 1892. Um, It started at the front of the building on 63rd Street, and there was a waiting room and a reception room that mysteriously, for some reason, led into a room between them, which led into a dark room. On either side of the dark room, there were there was a room with five doors or a room to a back staircase. There was a secret chamber off of another one. A bathroom that I'm not entirely sure how you would even get to. <laughs> An entirely closed room. A secret hiding place that seemed to include a chute from the roof to the basement. You okay? Another sealed room. A blind room, which I believe is a, like, a secret hidden doorway sort of situation. Okay. Um, a trap door from what I believe to have been Holmes's apartment bathroom on the third floor that led down into a bathroom, or led down into the bathroom with a pair of hidden stairs to the basement, which is separate, by the way, from the chute from the roof to the basement. Huh. Yeah. Um, there was also a room that was labeled the secret hanging chamber but was actually a dummy elevator shaft and may or may not have been used as a dumbwaiter for the restaurant that was for a while on the third floor so that's sort of unclear um there are rumors that he hung people there But if he did, it probably would have decapitated them and made a mess. And, like, why would you? True. But, eh, who knows? And so, here we come to the areas that many people have heard about. So, hallways to nowhere, the asphyxiation chamber that was sealed and had gas vents into it. Um, Yet another trap door down from the third floor. Two laboratories. Um, Several rooms that are all connected that don't seem to have any reason for them, except they are part of a hallway. And I think they are part of what was a nonsensical group of rooms and stairways called the maze. Huh. And there was also a back room, which seems to lead back to that original hallway, so you would just not be getting anywhere. There are two stairwells, only one of which seems to be functional. Huh. Yeah, it's... I, there is 
there are several mock-ups of what this would have looked like and I will link to more than one of them in the show notes. It reminds but... me of a really lethal Winchester mystery house, which I am looking up to see when that was. I've been there. Oh, so... I mean, it, it, was, it was Victorian. Um, so not a dissimilar time period, but I think that that continued, I want to say, until like, the it 1940s was... or something. It went, it went on for quite a while. Yeah. She... Yeah. Yeah, that's it's crazy. It's crazy. 1922 is when it stopped. 1922. Yeah. Yeah, okay. 1886 to 1922. Oh, well, so they started right after this. Perhaps she was inspired. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Except for less murdery, like the uh, Well, it was the Winchester Mansion. Sure. I don't both. think it was less murdery. Well, just maybe she not. Was directly murdering she was trying to get away from the ghosts um versus trying to create the ghosts um but yeah like why why right why why would you why why (laughs) Why? that's all i can say exactly and so moving on a little bit closer to the fair uh, the next year, so 1890, wait, this was 1892, so 1893. So actually the year that the fair would eventually happen. Um, I believe this was right after Holmes was arrested and was being held. Suddenly, the people of Chicago remembered his strange building on 63rd <laughs> Street that the papers the year before, um, the papers being the Chicago Tribune, um, had written up about being uh, filled with rooms that didn't make any sense and trapdoors and secret areas. And they were like, huh. So... Like, I don't understand, like, the the first time somebody went through that building, why they wouldn't have been like, what the ever-loving fuck? Right. Like, you got some splaining to do. Right, exactly. Maybe. (laughs) Let's have a little talk. A little chit-chat. Okay, so E.H. Robinson, the druggist who was in the building, um, in the pharmacy that Holmes was no longer running, brought... A detective sergeant named John E. Oh gosh, there are two Fitzpatricks. <laughs> All right. So there are cops. There's a detective sergeant and an inspector, both named Fis- Fitzpatrick and one named Norton. Um, inspector Fitzpatrick. And Norton were the usual suspects of the cops who were currently researching the weird building that they just suddenly all remembered existed. So when the druggist took the cops down to the cellar, there was, quote, uh, as stench down there which I had never before observed according to Robinson, when they emerged. And even though the basement 
they would have expected to be kind of smelly because, mm-hmm. I mean, sanitation, Victorian times. Also, it was a mud floor. I was going to um, say, yeah. Yeah. But it also occurred to this druggist to show the officers a walk-in safe at the back of the drugstore that Holmes had had installed and Hmm. it couldn't be repossessed because it would have damaged the building to remove it and then Holmes would have sued the safe maker. (laughs) And so this safe... shady bastard! Right. And so this this safe just stayed. Um, So there was nothing inside the safe but another set of doors. But when those doors were removed with crowbars, the interior space was found to be lined with asbestos. And the only reason for that that anyone could come up with was that asbestos, which is an insulation, would have been used to deaden sounds if someone were locked in. Oh. Yes. So, now, the jeweler from the first floor is involved. And he showed the officers the dummy elevator which he said was used as a dumbwaiter in the restaurant that ran from the top of uh, a dumbwaiter in the restaurant that ran from the top of the building to the bottom and then he led the officer to the, the third story room that Holmes had used as an office in which there was another large walk-in safe and this was one that was installed a couple of years before along with that large body-sized stove that you mentioned that was also installed on the third floor um huh. yeah on the third on the third i was expecting floor. that i expected that to be like in the basement where a big st- okay oh it's coming Yep, and so it's entirely possible that the safe in Holmes' office was the one that couldn't be repossessed and or that they were both lined with asbestos it's a little bit unclear there are definitely two safes one of them was definitely lined with asbestos the rest is a bit hazy And so, because there were rumors about the gigantic stove and that Holmes had actually asked if a body could fit in it. (laughs) Wow, Um, like he didn't even try to hide it. He's like, BT dubs, can I fit a body in here? uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. Uh, people started to dig around sort of inside this stove. And I should mention that this. The whole area was in disrepair um, because the roof had burned. Oh, oh okay. From the stove? 
You know what? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that it says somewhere, but I, I don't know. Um, so there were a lot of things that would have just been destroyed that may have been evidence because, oops, no roof. But the stove had remained unopened. And so they thought that they might find something if they looked into the stove. And so when they did, in fact, stick their hands (laughs) into the stove, (laughs) um, uh, there were hard substances founded including a watch chain and buttons. And the watch chain was recognized by the jeweler to have been the property of Minnie Williams um, because he had repaired it for her. So Ah, he actually would have recognized it. Yeah. Worlds colliding. Yeah, so many worlds colliding. So, of course, the newspapers went wild. And because of those items and the hard the hard substances that were found within the stove, it was thought that both Minnie and Nanny Williams had been burned to death and cremated in the third floor stove. Mm. But once a doctor inspected the items that were thought to be bones, uh, it seemed to be clayware of some sort. So it wasn't human bone. But that didn't explain the rest of the items that existed there. So... We're still a little bit unsure about what happened to Minnie and Nanny, but we are completely sure that they could not have been cremated in the third floor stove. I happen to know personally that it's because it wouldn't have gotten hot enough. Yeah. Uh, because I read a book about cremation. <laughs> but um, because they kept finding these things, they kept going back to the castle and searching more. And so at one point at the back of the basement, workers that were hired to be doing some excavation there found a solid wall that broke down when they hit it with their shovels. And behind it was a large rainbow shaped I do not know in what direction this rainbow was going gas tank that was buried beneath the courtyard in the rear of the building it was 14 feet long probably 9 feet wide and 4 or 5 feet high at its tallest point that's a big gas tank yeah and well so the uh, the workers apparently did not see any reason to be careful. Um, So they were 
chipping away at the zinc lining until the thing began expelling gas. So they took a lunch break um, to <laughs> let it cool off. And when they returned, one of the workers brought a lit candle. Oh, no. Yeah, and... Um, there was apparently a flash of light and loud noise. Um, it done went boom. It did. <laughs> I am unclear. The three men who were there to witness such a thing were removed and taken home. I do not know what became of them. Um, but the fumes were extremely strong and most people had to leave like there couldn't no work could be done and the tank needed to be flooded with water and boarded up and so (sighs) meanwhile Norton and Fitzpatrick were conducting a more thorough search of the third floor and remember those are the cops Um, And they were looking under flooring and into closets at this point. And they found very little, but they did find a bank book belonging to someone named Lucy Burbank. And a part of a bottle of carbolic acid. Okay. Yeah. Um, and a closer examination of one of the stovepipes revealed more pieces of what appeared to be bone. And as soon as the cops left, the reporters took the stove apart and found oh my what God. Yeah. And found what appeared to be burned human hair. Mm. Yeah, so that's fun. All right, so the record reporters who were on the scene um, said that the entire structure was obviously planned to discreetly and quickly get rid of bodies. Quote, the flats and cellars are one maze of false passages, trapdoors, secluded apartments, crannies, movable panels, and myriad doorways. And so that is a quote from the record at that time. Which doesn't seem inaccurate. I mean, there's, you can't explain, you can't explain away why some of those things exist. Like, there's no other reason that you would have that. Yeah, I mean, unless you were just straight up super weird. So, again, there were not bones in the stovepipe. That was clay of some variety. But the buttons and jewelry, again, still remained somewhat of a mystery. And so, wondering if they were actually going to find human remains because keep in mind they haven't yet. This is all just speculation after having found the bodies of the Pitesels. So we know that he can kill. We just do not know if he's done it here. Um, So the gas tank under the courtyard in the back 
was then emptied out um, and the workers were looking for signs of human remains. But digging under the boards and bricks that made up the base of the coal bin, though, they turned up a spotted white shirt with the initials GBD, along with some stained white clothes. Oh. It is unclear whether or what kind of clothing it was and what the stains were. The record apparently decided that it was a blood-stained undergarment. Oof. Um, and the Tribune said it was a linen um, and further described that a doctor had done a chemical analysis that proved that the stains were blood. And still, others said it was a dress. So, <laughs> okay. We can't even get that right. Come on, people. Yeah, so um, their record for thorough searching isn't great. But it was becoming clearer and clearer that something untoward had happened. In the afternoon, Detective Norton found a tool chest in a storeroom on the second floor. And that tool chest contained a 20-foot length of half-inch rope, which was dotted with bloodstain-looking patterns. Oh, boy. It had been personally used by people who worked in the building in totally normal ways. Hmm. So there's... No reason that it couldn't have been rust. And the person in the building who frequently used it asked the cops to return it after. (laughs) (laughs) Can I have my rope back, please? Uh, Well, yeah. um, Didn't object to them taking it, but wanted it back because. Um. There was also some dye that had been found in the basement. Uh, the cochineal dye, I believe that's how it's pronounced, the red dye that you have talked about in previous oh, yes. episodes. Yes, um, yes. So that could explain the stains. Who knows? Um, but the afternoon papers were like, yo, that is a rope that was used in the hanging shaft. Oh, yep. Uh, the hanging shaft being actually the dumbwaiter for the <laughs> restaurant. Though Holmes hanging people is sort of standard lore at this part, or at this time, and most stories that talk about the history of this building still list it as a probable way that people died uh it probably didn't yeah like, there's no his mo yeah there's no good reason that it would have happened and there's no evidence that it did so here's my thing yeah he clearly has experience cleaning a body down to a skeleton 
So while the oven wouldn't have gotten, like the stove wouldn't have gotten hot enough to handle bones, it could have done fatty, you know, fat tissue, muscle, stuff like that. Like it's entirely possible that he was stripping the bodies down to bones and selling the skeletons. Oh, I mean, well, that it's was true, MO. but we're about to find some bodies. <gasps> oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> yay. I mean, no. <laughs> All right. While the cops were investigating, they met with a man who manufactured large furnaces, uh, who didn't want his name out there, so he was... Uh, why not? Why you don't want your name out there? Mm, because <laughs> in April of 1890, an H.H. Holmes had come to his firm um, with the request of a competent worker to adjust an oil burner for a furnace. Okay. And so this worker attended to it personally and well in the cellar found a furnace that was five feet high six feet wide and 12 feet long and he was able to point out the indented part of the east wall where it had been so it wasn't in the basement anymore. And that's one of the big problems. It wasn't yeah. like they just walked down into the basement and found all of these things in place. Should there wasn't anything around? in the basement. Oh, wow. Like, they just... Everything had gotten... Well, because Holmes was really good at packing up and getting the hell out. Seriously. I don't know how you would manage to move a furnace that large, but nobody asked me. And... All right, so the furnace itself was found to contain an inner chamber that was three feet high, three feet wide, and nine feet long, made of fire brick. Ah, okay. Um, <clears throat> sup, crematory. Right? Yeah, that, that's what those are made out of. That's why those exist. And so the thing is, any gas that was formed in such a chamber would be immediately consumed by fire. So there would be no odor from the furnace. That's real smart. Yeah. So, um, so that was a thing that could happen. And so now we're really getting started. Now we Workers that were excavating along the Wallace Street wall of the basement. Now, keep in mind, all of this time, there are people excavating and also searching all of the floors. And press also taking shit apart. So there's just a whole yeah. bunch of people just tromping all over the place. Yeah, but still... Um, yeah. workers that were digging along the wall of the basement that was up against Wallace Street found a barrel containing a woman's dress with a white ribbon insertion on the front, as well as part of a teapot. Um, the cloth of the dress was stained with 
a rust-colored substance. But it Mm. should be noted that the teapot would have been rusted. This wasn't a ceramic teapot. Ah, okay. It's unclear. I mean, there's definitely evidence that there that somebody got rid of the clothing of a woman. Mm. But eh. All right, so because they found that, they brought in more people to dig up the basement more. Right? <laughs> and got a little more organized. About two and a half feet below the ground, one of the workers named Pat McGovern was there uncovered what appeared to be bones in a bed of quicklime. And now uh, there were 17 or 18 bones in all. Seven appeared to be ribs. One looked like a pelvis and one was maybe part of a jaw. They were blackened and slimy and buried near a bit of clothing, um, which could have been a cape, cloak, jacket, my cat growling, unclear. (laughs) Um, And there were also bits of matted hair and shards of broken bottles and parts of a ruined trunk. So all there. Like a trunk of a body or a trunk you pack stuff in? Well, (laughs) I do believe at this moment they are the same thing. Okay. So, all right. I would just... Quick lesson for um, all of you nerds, and I believe this is also in um, Adam Seltzer's book. Quicklime is a preservative. Yep. It keeps smell down, but it does not dissolve a body. Ah, okay. In fact, it does the opposite. So you can use it to make things not smell very much. But your evidence is going to last a little longer. Hmm. All right. The bones were taken up to... Dr. Robinson in the drugstore, who immediately said that they were likely bones of a human child between six and eight years old, which was Mm. the age of Pearl Connor. Okay. Who probably did not um, just disappear into the night on Christmas Eve. Yeah. He's an ass. He is very much an ass. It's true. So, later in the day, another small bed of quicklime was also found in the cellar, and in that quicklime was also what seemed to be another human bone. Um, This time, it was under the stairway, also on the Wallace Street side, and it was above a board that was three feet long by 20 feet wide. And the bones were put in a salt box and then placed on the squad room table where a doctor examined them and confirmed that they were human. I don't know why a soap box, but you know, whatever. And yeah. that, that uh, 
that is that. And the newspapers, of course, went wild with speculation. Um, they were real, real excited about the bodies. Like, really, really excited. So it's probably safe to con- to to assume that it was Pearl her mom. Yeah, but I would um, thought so that he would have been smart enough to 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 know that the lie wasn't gonna decompose it. I. I I think that if you asked most people, even now, mm-hmm. they wouldn't know that. True. All right. Because the bones had been found on that wooden board, uh, and underneath the board, the earth was packed really hard, there began to be a theory that maybe that was the original floor, and that all of this dirt had been piled on top of the original floor. Which is an interesting thought. So, like, his own makeshift graveyard down there? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, hard-packed earth could mean a lot of things. And foundations are a thing. So, I don't really know. So, more and more finds kept happening. Some of them meaningful, some of them just baffling. So, an old umbrella and a discolored scun- scunge? sponge <laughs> were found in the basement on Friday. Um, but, and here we get to the vision of the dissecting basement that everybody thinks of. They also found a large bench that... The police had seen, but not really examined before then. Hmm. And they realized that it was covered with strange stains and also knife marks. Oh. Um, so it was thought that probably... This was a dissecting table that Holmes might have used to cut up bodies. And Dr. Robinson from the pharmacy said that the stains certainly did look like blood, but couldn't tell if it was human or animal. So at from now on, this bench will be forever known as for sure the dissection table even though it's not for sure all right but unless he's like i don't know hacking up a chicken he's planning on cooking in a giant human-sized stove you know it doesn't what else would it be i don't disagree here's what we actually know for sure about the basement the basement and really about the building that is known as the murder castle. So weird. We know that it could absolutely have caused many deaths. We do not know if it ever did, except for the two bodies that were found. And or the two parcel bodies that were found. Right. And what then the, the evidence of the little pieces of 
of detritus from people's lives, but I mean, these were people who lived and worked there. Right. Um, I right next to me have an entire garbage can filled with old clothing that I'm throwing away because it's not useful to anyone anymore. Because it has holes in it. So, like, that would be super weird if I were suddenly being investigated for murder. Well, it'd be super weird, too, if you buried it. Well, I mean, but it's (laughs) compostable. They're natural fibers. Anyway, I'm not going to bury it. (laughs) We know that there were bones connected to a small child. We know that there were bones connected to an adult. We know that there were buttons and clothing and possibly hair found. An awful lot of things that look like they might be bloodstains. Something that absolutely could have functioned as a crematorium and got hot and gotten hot enough. But we have zero evidence that Holmes was involved at all. True. It does seem like there's enough to at least prove intent. I mean... Uh, I mean, I... We think he killed people. But there's just not very much specific, practical... evidence that isn't extremely circumstantial you could not charge him with that evidence yeah you can't and we also don't truly know who those bones belong to we don't know truly who put them there it was clearly someone who was getting rid of a body because of the quicklime like it was clearly intentional right we, Where did the rest of it go? Like, I... And there's so many questions. Yeah, like, I don't know if there were ever, like, ashes found. Because, frankly, even in modern-day crematoriums, there's a machine that is used to make cremains uniform and smooth because there are pieces of bone still right in cremains when they come out of a crematorium my one of my best friends uh likes to joke that her her mom's ashes came with an instruction label (laughs) (laughs) because there's a little warning (laughs) yeah well and it's actually i it's a law many places that the cremains have to be uniform and powdery so as not to freak people out. But anyway, I I sort of feel like there should be more with regards to that furnace. Also, what the fuck happened to that furnace? Seriously. Like, that's a big item. So it wasn't like you had cops being able to go through this stuff. I think before I was under the impression that they were finding a crime scene. But they are finding a mud floor basement and a bunch of secret rooms that may or may not have been used to hire goods that Holmes was committing fraud around. And 
definitely some really weird rooms that one can only think of a reason why you right. would have them, like the asphyxiation room. Seriously. Or the so-called asphyxiation room. So there were trap doors. There were slides, or a slide that went from Holmes's apartment on the third floor to the basement directly. There were stairs that also went from the third floor directly to the basement. Maybe it was just a really big laundry chute. <laughs> That's, um, <laughs> that, oh, no. that is not the case. But that is clearly the intent, like what right. it was supposed to look like. And the excuse for it, there was not the mythical acid bath in the basement, as far mm. as I can tell. Uh, so, I yeah. know that there is many different contractors and architects and people that were involved, but yeah. there was somebody that built that chute. And what did you tell said people that built that chute it was for? Well, it was got to be or, a hotel. So, right. I mean, if you had huge amounts of bedding, it wouldn't be that weird to have a chute. Like, I can fit down most laundry chutes. Like most regular right, but ones from today. From one specific apartment down. Well, where the like, you'd boil the laundry in the basement, I would think. Yeah. And the third but floor who, was where the hotel was supposed to be. That's true. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's very very confusing. Um, I'm just saying, if I was involved in any part of this, I'd be like, "Excuse me." Right. This does not seem right. Yeah. So. <laughs> I can confirm that there were bones found. I can confirm that the super sketchy ways to the basement existed and also all of the secret rooms and things like that. Those existed. And the, the chimneys coming out where chimneys shouldn't be coming out. <laughs> yes. Um, there, And I can confirm that there were two walk-in safes, at least one of which was lined with asbestos and clearly had a second set of doors to hide that fact. So weird. Yep. Um, but there's not much more that's, that you can take as anything more than assumptions, and none of the narrators at the time are reliable ah, at so all. So nerve-wracking. Like, probably not even the cops. Ugh. So... The newspapers were all over it constantly, both morning and afternoon. And I don't know, was it three times a day at that point? Was it morning, afternoon, and evening editions? Yeah, um, I think so, so they were all over it. But they also wanted to sell papers. So the more dramatic they were, the more papers True. they sold. Mm, cops may or may not have just not been doing their jobs. Although the cops here like that we've been talking about seem to be pretty okay yeah. um although i could be misremembering that so that 
is the murder mansion, and it's kind of anticlimactic. The lore around it is so much bigger than the actual evidence. And I would Mm. argue that if the building were standing today, and if modern forensic techniques could have been used, if, say, the newspapers hadn't literally dismantled things like Bernice. Seriously. (laughs) Um that maybe a lot more would have been found. I mean, there certainly would have been touch DNA and latent prints and bloodstain pattern analysis, I'm quite sure, if the building had been used in that way. But it's also possible that he never got to use it that way. That's true. And so... He was too busy whipping all over the place? Yeah, and so that's where we head back to... Texas. Yes. So Holmes's murder castle, obviously, as you said, wasn't a one-of-a-kind thing. After leaving Chicago, Holmes built another very similar building in Fort Worth, Texas, but never got around to adding the murder part of the murder castle. It was built, and it stood for a long time, and it was used for different things, but it was never occupied by Holmes. If you want to see what the murder castle in Chicago probably looked like, the Texas version is a little bigger, but it's also very much obviously the same layout. And the only surviving images of the Chicago murder castle were after the top floor burned. Mm. And so you don't have, like, the turret and, like, the things that made people call it the castle. But you can see all of that detail in the Texas building. I still find it really a bit humorous that at one point the remaining, uh, the remainder of the Chicago building was used as a post office. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Those safes come in handy. I, they do. They're expensive. I mean, those safes were probably not in structurally sound places. I don't remember. One of them was in the pharmacy, I think. But, yeah. Apparently, a lot of the areas were explained away as places where clerks slept. Okay. I don't know. That that could be a thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean... I have absolutely, uh, I, I've worked on Mackinac Island in Michigan, and Aww. I lived and worked there, and... I've been there. <laughs> yeah, I, there was room and board. No cars allowed. No, it's uh, very much set in the uh, 1890s-ish. Lots of horses. Yep. Uh, and bicycles. But I lived there for a full summer and absolutely had lodging from my employer. That's a thing. So, I don't know. Anyway, that is as much truth as I can find about the murder castle and huge, huge amounts of credit need to go to... Adam Seltzer and his book, H.H. Holmes, The True History of the White City Devil, 
because his research into what primary sources did exist and just really hunting down all of the leads that he could find and not just and making it a point to say the things that were provable and not right was so helpful in this and was very different than um say the devil in the white city which was a great book very very enjoyable book it Um, is but it's also you know but it's made to be narrative yeah is straddling the line between fiction and nonfiction. yep it's a story and it's a good one it is but yeah so that's that's the murder castle yay i'm done (laughs) you did an awesome job i think that brings us to the weekly worst way to die oh dear i have i have thoughts Mine is definitely, definitely being locked in Holmes's asbestos-lined safe. Because every other method, I wouldn't have time to think about my impending doom. True. And panic about it. Like, the gas room, you'd be dead before you knew it was a problem. Yeah. Hanging, from that height, if it happened... Definitely would have broke your neck. Uh, <laughs> poisoning from the pharmacy? Mm? Yeah, like, pretty quick. okay. Like, that might suck, depending on how much. Um, anyway, that is, that's my, my nightmare. Being locked. I don't know how big that safe was. And so, I am terrified of being it, locked in a thing like that. Our, um... Our little village, our little village, or city hall, rather. I guess we're bigger yes. than it. It's tiny, but so, but it, it was an old bank. So there, when you go in to pay, like, your your water and utilities, they're, they keep their records in this, like, giant walk-in safe. It's huge. Oh, it's really I cool. love that. There are several places in New York that mm. have once been banks that are now fill in the blank other things and they are really cool um and the walk-in safes are usually used for something fun yep so mine is just married to this motherfucker like i I just just and probably burnt alive with benzene that does not sound fun at all did she die huh his first wife she seems uh, to be okay, right? She, yeah, no, uh, actually, yeah, she lived a very long, actually, she lived a very long life, and, uh, Murda also, uh, lived a life, a long life, and. I think the key was having kids. parents. Who would right. miss you. True, true, true. Um, but there are also, uh. Not I go into no. There were others. Maybe it's distance. It could be. Maybe it's just well, no, because that one was pregnant, and he was like, "Yeah, no." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't even know what the specific form. Maybe if no, yeah, no, I don't know the specific formula to surviving a marriage with this motherfucker. But don't. Um, 
I don't I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm not about it. Uh, and I definitely don't want to be burnt alive with benzene because although it's, you know, goes up quickly, but I know burning mm-hmm. alive is not fun. Not fun. No. Oh, I should also mention that though not found on the premises, there were multiple first person accounts of people having helped Holmes remove safes or not safes, um, trunks very very heavy trunks from the third floor some of which smelled bad yeah perhaps yeah. and that could be sensational newspapering or could have been dirty laundry <laughs> i don't think it was probably dirty laundry i think it was probably bodies <laughs> but <laughs> good yeah. lord anyway oh man <sighs> what a dick yeah so, totally do you do you want to be spooky internet friends? We can be found at Bones and Bobbins on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find us on Pinterest at Bones and Bobbins and just at bonesandbobbins.com. It's true. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast because it pleases the internet gremlins and that's how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us. Bring forth the morbid souls. Yes, please. (laughs) And on that note, let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. Or with Holmes. For that matter. Do not, do not run with Holmes. No. Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.